0: Wow, thank you, worship team. Well, we are uh, so privileged this weekend to have uh, Dr. Christopher Yuan and his parents with us, Dr. Leon and Angela Yuan. Uh, They have uh, a worldwide ministry. They are today the leading voices. Uh, for the evangelical church speaking on the issue of human sexuality and, and the implications of the gospel uh, in regards to our sexuality and uh, man they have just blessed our hearts this weekend uh, sharing both their testimony of God's grace in their lives uh, but also equipping us to understand uh, biblically how to uh, address these issues. And so uh, I know they're going to be a great encouragement to you this morning. Dr. Yuan uh, teaches at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and uh, he's been there for over 10 years. He's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. He got his master's degree from Wheaton, uh, got his uh, doctorate from Bethel here in the Twin Cities, and uh, just a tremendous brother in Christ, uh, faithful man of God, as are his dear parents. We had the privilege of spending some time with him last night uh, just special people and they're going to share uh, some of their story this morning as well about how God uh, answered their prayers for their prodigal son. And uh, it's just a powerful, powerful story. Friends, I want to invite you this morning after the service, check out their resource table. Uh, these are two of the best books you can purchase. Uh, out of a Far Country, written by Christopher and his mother Angela, their personal story of uh, trusting the Lord's uh, faithfulness uh, through Christopher's wanderings from the faith. They're going to talk about that this morning. And uh, Christopher's book, Holy Sexuality, uh, I kid you not, this is the best resource available today on the issue of human sexuality and how we can address these issues from a biblical, gracious, loving standpoint. So uh, these are both out there on their book table. Uh, let's clean them out this morning, okay? Let's not send them home with any books. Get these resources for yourself. Get an extra copy for a friend, a neighbor, a, a son, daughter. I promise you, these are just awesome. So would you please join me now in welcoming Christopher, Angela, and Leon, uh, Yuan. God bless you guys. But God bless you. God bless you, brother.
1: America, where money grows on trees and streets are lined with gold. Well, at least that's what I perceived when I first passed through Ellis Island of New York City on October 30th nineteen sixty four I quickly realized how wrong I was the first night I stayed at my friend's round down apartment near near the slum of Harlem near Chinatown. Even more surprising was the day after October thirty first when little people were masquerading doorbells and the trick or tree. I said to myself what have I got myself into <laughs> Angela, my college sweetheart, came to America a few months after I did, then we married the next year. I also assumed just because we were in love, we would simply live happily ever after. How naive I was. (laughs) We were not Christian then after years of unresolved issue and self-centered living, our marriage was a disaster. So with the encouragement from both of our sons, we began the paperwork for a divorce after 28 years of marriage. So on that year, May 15th, 1993, our son Christopher came home after his first year in dental school, he made an announcement. I am gay. Since our marriage was hopeless, I did not work as a team with my wife to face this enormous challenge. Not only did I not to comfort her, but I also accused her, of making our son gay. My son Christopher's declaration affirmed my belief, that we shall all go our separate ways. Let him be, because there's nothing I can do about it besides. Isn't it more important to be happy? But my wife responds quite differently.
2: You will never think that three simple words, I am gay, could cause so much pain. I actually thought I could threaten Christopher with the automaton to choose the family or choose homosexuality. But Christopher already bought into the lie that he couldn't change, that he was born gay. So he said, if you cannot accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Without any hesitation, Christopher picked up his bags and left. Nothing can describe how I felt at that moment. It was worse than receiving news of Christopher's death. He could have come in with a knife. It would have hurt less. In my mind, Christopher, who was closest to me, and my last ray of hope had also betrayed me. I was at the end of my rope as my world fell apart around me. I had no more reason to live, so I determined to do the unthinkable. I was going to end my life. Even though I was not a Christian at that time, I felt the need to meet with the minister who gave me a pamphlet on homosexuality. Then I bought a one-way and ticket to Louisville, where I planned to say goodbye to Christopher for the last time before ending it all. With only my purse and a pamphlet from the minister, I bought on the train and thinking that death was the only answer to all my problems. Never be much a reader. On the train, I began to read a pamphlet, which explained the plan of salvation, that all of us are sinners, yet God loves us in spite of our sin. God opened the eyes of my heart. Then I realized that just as God loves me in spite of my sin, I could love Christopher in spite of him living as a gay man. After arriving in Louisville, I called the number from the back of the pamphlet and was connected to a Christian lady in Louisville who began to disciple me. For six weeks, I immersed myself into the Bible and felt as if I couldn't soak up enough. You see, I went to Louisville expecting to end my life. In reality, I did. One of my favorite verses today is, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me.
1: After six weeks, I got a phone call from the lady who was discipling my wife. The lady was very excited. She told me, Your wife has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She has been saved. I was not very pleased. I told her this is not a good news. This is my worst nightmare because from now on, she has God on her side. But what I realized, her transformation was not a Sunday-only change, but affected every aspect of her life. What she had was not religion, but an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Little did I know, God was also work on me. So I started to go to church with my wife. Then a friend of ours invited us to a Bible study called BSF, Bible Study Fellowship where we grow deeper into the understanding of and love for God and his word. While studying the Bible in my church and in BSF, I also surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. God became the glue, kept our marriage together by joining both of us to himself. This was God's way for preparing us for the difficult years ahead. As our son Christopher walk further and further away from God.
3: For my childhood years, I was like most other Chinese American kids. Obey your parents, do well in school, and of course, practice piano. You see, I didn't fit in with the other American boys. I looked different, I acted different, and I had different interests. God had given me the gifts of music, of sensitivity, And Satan can't take away those God-given gifts, but he can twist the perception of them. And from a young age, I, I was viewed and ridiculed as being effeminate. The first time I remember having these attractions was when I was nine years old, after I came across pornography at a friend's house at nine. At that young age, I was confused and afraid of those feelings. Without any parental guidance on sexuality, those magazines gave me a distorted view of sex, and they soon became my master. With pornography fueling my desires. I had my first encounter when I was 16 years old, but I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps reserves. In my early 20s, I no longer kept it a secret and I came out of the closet. I began living openly as a gay man. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs and I went from relationship to relationship seeking intimacy and happiness, which I found, but it still left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So I began experimenting with drugs. Now, not all gay men do drugs. Some do, some don't, but that is part of my story, unfortunately. And when I tell you what, I have to be honest, but I also need to tell you that when you encounter Christ, he will impact every aspect of your life. So I began experimenting with drugs, but like my classmates, I didn't have much money. And if I was going to do drugs, I had to find a way to support my habit. And I did that by selling drugs. And I sold it to friends, classmates, even a professor. You see, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So my parents flew from Chicago, where we're from, to Louisville, where I was going to, to dental school. And I thought... They were going to fight to keep me in school. My father's a dentist. He knew the dean very well. All they needed to do was a threaten a lawsuit, and I would stay in school for three months. Besides, isn't that what any good Chinese parent should do anyway? To my surprise, as we sat there in the dean's office, my mother looked at the dean and said, "It's not important that Christopher becomes a dentist." What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. And she said that they're going to support whatever decision the school made. You see, my mom knew that when it comes to her children, nothing is more important than their, her children following Jesus. Even more important than education, even more important than career. But you know, the sad reality is Many people may go to church on Sunday and worship God, but well, then they will return home and worship idols. The idol of education, the idol of career, the idol of their 401K. And in essence, we often are forcing our children, our youth, to do the same. Think about this. Our parents putting more emphasis on a daily basis on their children getting their homework done, getting a better grade, getting into a good school, or should Christian parents be putting more emphasis, actually the most emphasis, upon their children following Jesus? It's no wonder why many youth grow up in church, go off to college, and they leave their faith behind because maybe they weren't really worshiping God at home in the first place. Nothing is more important than following Christ. But I have to be totally honest with you. I was not happy about my mother's decision. She wasn't on my side, I felt. She was on the school side. So I moved further away from them to the bright lights in big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community and I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day because according to the world, I had it all money, fame, drugs and sex. I had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator because in my world. I had become God.
2: Leon and I had no idea that Christopher was doing drugs, but we knew his biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I sent him Christian cards several times a week, and I filled them with encouraging words, scripture, and hymns at the bottom of each card. I sign, love you forever, Mom. But little did I know he never read them and simply tossed them into the
1: trash. My wife and I knew the only way if we want to see our son, we have to fly from Chicago to Atlanta. So we did. But on the second day, he kicked us out, not even allow us to call our friend to pick us up. Before leaving, I offer Christopher my very first Bible. Not surprisingly, he refused, but I left it on his counter anyway and walked out. We found out later he took my Bible, threw it into the trash. It was more than obvious that he was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my wife and I committed not to focus on our own hopelessness, but on the promises of God. Along with over a hundred prayer warriors from our church, from BSF, we cry out to God for our son, Christopher. My wife began to pray a very bold prayer. Lord, do whatever it takes. To bring its prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for eight years. Once fasted 39 days for our son, Christopher. Every morning, she would literally spend hours inside her prayer closet on her knees, reading the Bible interceding for Christopher, praying for herself, for me, and for many, many others. She, will let, um, she wrote out some of her prayer prayers. Falling is one of that prayers.
2: I will staying in the gap for Christopher. I will stand until the victory is won, until Christopher's heart changes. I will stand in the gap every day, and there I will fervently pray. And Lord, just one favor, don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I will never give up on that son, nor will you. Though the enemy seeks to destroy, I will not quit as I intercede. Though it may take years, but I give you my fears and tears as I trust every moment I plead. I prayed those prayers for eight years, and it seemed that God was not answering them. But during those years, God did answer my prayers, just not in the way I expected. His answer for me was wait, be still. And know that I am God. Looking back upon those years when I prayed for change, God did bring change. The change was not yet in Christopher, but the change was in me and my husband. What God intended for that time was that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, that we will be trophies of God's mercy. Asua Chambers said. We are not here to prove God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of God's grace. As we live out those years of waiting, we learn to walk and live as monuments of his grace, as God drew us to himself each and every day.
3: Often answer to prayer doesn't come quickly. And this definitely was not an exception. My parents were unwavering in their faithfulness to intercede on my behalf. Like the persistent widow, my mother bombarded heaven with her prayers. She knew that it was going to take absolutely nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large amount of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs and I was charged with the equivalent ...of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia. And I found myself at the ditch among society's despised... ...in the Atlanta City Detention Center. So I tried calling my friends. You know those type of friends that say... ...whenever you need something, just give me a call those friends that really get me more into trouble than anything else. Well, what I didn't know was I had a praying mother at home. Watch out. And she knew that as long as I have those type of friends around, I would find no need for God and no need for my parents. And Remember, she loves bold prayers. Well, she had prayed specifically years ago that somehow, some way. God would cause all of my friends to desert me. And on that day, not one friend answered my collect call. So mothers, beware of your prayers. They're going to come true. (laughs) So I was down to the bottom of the list. Home. And I did not want to make that phone call. As I just imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But my mother's first words were. Son. Are you okay? No condemnation. No berating words. Just words of unconditional love. And grace. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4. That it's God's kindness. That leads us to repentance. Repentance. Notice Paul isn't saying that it's God's anger. It's not God's wrath. But it's God's kindness that that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through words of my mother. Actually, my mom was Excited to get that phone call, if you can believe it or not. (laughs) Because I hadn't called home in years. And she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers. So as she hung up that phone, fighting back the tears, she knew she had to do like that good old hymn says. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, no matter what heartache she was enduring, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down, and next to the phone happened to be a calculator. And she tore off a little piece of the adding machine tape, and she wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is is in a safe place compared to before. And he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, he kept adding to this list and counting her blessings. And when I got out of prison, this list of blessings was longer and taller than she is. Three days later, I was walking around the cell block. And I passed by this garbage can. And I looked at this trash and I thought, this is my life. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My father has two doctorates. I was only three months away from receiving my own doctorate. I had it made. But now I found myself among common criminals, trash. With my head down, I was about to pass by that garbage can. But something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament I took that New Testament back to my cell. I opened up that good book for the first time. I read through the entire gospel of Mark that night. But let me tell you, I wasn't thinking this is the word of God. And I certainly wasn't thinking this will be the answer to my problems. Actually, I simply thought that I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands and a better passage somehow. But as many of you know. What we have in our Bibles Is not just ink on paper. But what we have in our Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion. And it wasn't a pretty sight. And I thought things couldn't get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. The prison guards handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together. I shoveled into her office. She shut the door behind me, sat me down, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words. She couldn't even give me eye contact. So she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper. And slowly slid it across the destiny. I looked down and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive.
2: A few days before Christmas, I received Christopher's phone call from jail. The noise in the background could not cover up his sad and hopeless words. Mom, I am HIV positive. His solemn and weak voice trailed off as my body went limp. I felt dizzy, and the world around me seemed to stop. Ever since Christopher told us we were gay. I had lived with this constant fear that Christopher might one day contract this deadly virus. My worst nightmare was now a reality. Christopher was sentenced to six years in federal prison. The news of his HIV status was like a death sentence, a verdict I could not accept. Hang on the phone, the pains or grief torn on my broken heart like a knife. Aimlessly, I stumbled up the steps and dragged my heavy body into my prayer closet. Under the cross, I fell to my knees. A sting tears blurred my eyes. This affliction was more than I could bear. In the silence of my sorrow A melody began to play In my heart The soft and sweet stream Of a hymn Fill my ears And repeat Over and over It is well It is well
4: With my soul When we be- like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul, it is. soul with my soul it is well it is well with my soul
3: a few days after receiving that devastating news I was in my prison cell all by myself, just contemplating the mess that I made of my life. I lie there on the bed and I look up at the cold metal bunk above me. There was graffiti, profanity, gang symbols. But someone had written something else in the corner, and it read If you're bored, Read Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, at the most hopeless point in my life, The Lord God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in my past, he still had a plan for me. I had no clue where that plan was going to take me. But God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual, and God was convicting me of my dependencies. The most obvious was drugs, but within a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing mine to other idols, and there was one that I felt like I just couldn't let go of. and it was my sexuality. So, I was reading through the Bible. It was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. But as I kept reading, I came across some passages which seemed to condemn this core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain. And to my surprise, this chaplain actually told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And he even gave me a book explaining that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding Biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And can I just tell you from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God, his word, and his unmistakable condemnations against same-sex relationships. I couldn't even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone, and I went through every verse Every chapter, every page of scripture, looking for justification. I wanted to find any type of a positive affirmation for a monogamous same-sex relationship. I wanted my cake and eat it too. Who wants to change? So I went through the whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. So I was at a turning point. And a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, get this, by allowing my attractions, sexual attractions, to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship, How? By freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I learned several important lessons. First of all, I learned that abstaining from sex is actually possible. I know that might sound weird to you, but remember, I was not a Christian for years, and the world keeps telling me that it's not possible, but it actually is. Who knew? Second, I learned that abstaining from sex is not going to make me psychotic or sick, no matter what Freud and Oprah say. Third, I realized that after abstaining from sex for a little while, that actually my sexuality does not have to be, actually shouldn't be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. And that's true. But don't we as sinners like to add to God's truth? I added, so therefore God doesn't want me to change. Similar to you friends who say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. But you know, after reading the Bible several times, I learned... That unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Let me say it again. Unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. You see, my identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity should not be grounded in my desires, whether sexual or romantic. My identity is not gay is not ex-gay, is not even heterosexual for that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. I had thought in the past that if I were to become a Christian, that I would have to become a heterosexual Which meant the more sexually attracted I were to lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation. I would still need to resist sin. So actually, heterosexuality is not the right goal, right direction, too general. God never commands us, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. But neither did God say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. Instead, God said, be holy. For I am holy. Therefore, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon Whether I'm tempted, because we all will be tempted. I need to focus on whether I'm struggling, because we will struggle. But I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of temptations. God doesn't promise you, oh, put your faith in Jesus and you'll never be tempted again. No. Jesus was tempted himself. We will also be tempted. So change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit-wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling, not whether I'm tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God began to reveal his plan for my life. And he called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison, of all places. And I realized it didn't matter where I was, whether I was in prison or out of prison, because my calling would remain the same regardless of the location. And with that change of heart, God did another miracle. He shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew that if I was going to continue on in ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called up, collected my parents, and I told them, I think God's calling me into ministry. And then I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of at that time called Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. (laughs) They mailed the application into me to prison. I was so excited when I got it, tore it open, began filling it out until I got to the last page where they asked me for references, not from anybody, but these had to be people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. Do the math. I had some slim pickings in prison, but I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. So amazingly, Moody actually accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August of 2001. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? (laughs) I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's in exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School, received my doctorate in ministry in 2014 from Bethel Seminary down the road, and then I had the incredible honor of co-authoring a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. So we wrote it together. She wrote chapter one. I wrote chapter two. She, my mother wrote all the odd chapters. I wrote the even chapters. They're interwoven na- narratives, alternating chapters, because we wanted to tell you from our own voice how you can have the same situation told from two totally different perspectives—a parent to prodigal. And you know the best part of the whole story is how God and His power, His grace, brought us all back together. This book now is in seven different languages, over 100,000 copies in print. There's a free eight-week discussion guide in the back of this book that small groups are using, parents are using. And actually, many Christian high schools have been using this book as a textbook. A textbook. Who would have thought that our testimony would be used as a textbook? Teachers are saying, I have the hardest time making my kids read their textbooks. But they say, not this one. And you know, it makes sense. Cause our youth, our children, our grandchildren are being flooded, inundated with resources on sexuality. All from a non-Christian worldview. Where are the resources that we can give to our kids? that talk about biblical sexuality. Whether it's on media or YouTube, Hollywood, our youth are given messages pretty much on a daily basis of people who say, I'm gay and I'm so happy, but they don't know Christ and they're lost. God does not want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. Parents, don't ever let These words come from your mouth where you say, I just want my kids to be happy. That's from the world. We want our kids to follow Jesus. Amen. We have to talk to our kids about sex and sexuality. You know, I am strongly convinced that the job to teach sex education does not belong in the hands of the public schools. Amen? It does not belong in the hands of Hollywood. Can I get an amen for that? It does not belong in the hands of the Internet. I know we can be really concerned, and I know that's great. We have many families that are homeschooling, because I think that is an incredible option. Almost a necessity seeming today when the world, the way our world and our school systems are going. But do not think that just because they're homeschooled at home, if they engage with kids outside of the home, if they turn on the Internet, because I'm very concerned about sex education in our schools. But you know what sex education is today? Google. The Internet. The Internet can give you so much information. And the majority of it. It is all not Christian. They say two websites for every one legitimate website is a pornography website. Two for one. And oftentimes we let our children just have unfettered access to the Internet. You know whose job it is to teach our kids about sex education? Not the schools, not the Internet. Whose job? Parents. We should not forfeit that to the world as we have for the past several decades. Parents, mothers, and fathers. And I really want to emphasize fathers because it's often not happening. Fathers, you can teach your kids to be responsible, to be brave, courageous. But when it comes to talking about sex, sometimes fathers are the least courageous. Let's change that. Amen. Let's change that men. Let's men be men. What an idea. But, you know, it's not just parents. I'm going to expand that out a little bit more. Not just parents. You know who else? Grandparents. And great grandparents. Any, any great grandparents in here? Any great? Amen. Any grandparents? Raise your hands. You know why, grandparents, I'm saying that? Because you have too much time on your hands. To be realistic, if you think back, grandparents, when you were younger, how much did you listen to your parents when you were that age as a teenager or your peers? Maybe you're a good kid. Maybe your peers think back. Maybe God is giving you more of a listening ear to your grandkids right now, more so than the parents. Are we using it for the glory of God or are we wasting it? Are we willing to throw a lifeline, literally a lifeline to our grandkids when they are drowning in a sea of of confusion, a tsunami of misinformation? Let's save this generation. Who wants to save this generation? Anyone? Amen. Let's do that. And so. I gave this challenge one time in Oklahoma. It was rural Oklahoma. I mean, it was, it was this church in the middle of cornfields. I mean, you look outside, it was just flat. You got like a couple tornadoes swirling around. <laughs> I gave this challenge, and after the challenge, we spoke. And this grandmother, I don't, I don't even think the service was over. This grandmother got up out of her chair. She made a beeline toward a book table, and she's like, she came at me. She's like, I need 10 books. I was like, wow. She's like, You're, you just need one. No, young man, I need 10. One for myself, she said, and nine for my grandchildren. She said, I'm going to mail every one of my kids a book. I'm going to read it with them, and I'm going to use the study guide to discuss it with them. A grandmother. That's a grandmother that's really taking seriously the god-given responsibility we all have to not we're not exposing our kids but we're equipping them with biblical sexuality you can do all you can to protect your kids from the world but you you know what you can't protect them from a sinful heart and a sinful mind silence is no longer an option my newest book helps us to dig deeper Because how do we talk about sexuality to each other? How do we communicate it to the world? How do we talk about it with our kids more so than don't do this, don't do that, don't do this? And that's important to talk about. But we can't build a Christian life on God's no. What is God's yes? Well, God's yes, quite concisely and quite simply, is holy sexuality, which is chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And that, my friends, is good news for all. Amazingly, God has given us back the years that the locusts have taken away. And my parents and I, we travel around the nation, around the world as a two-generational ministry. And let me tell you, that's a huge blessing, isn't it, Jason, to travel with your parents in ministry. I'm the one that's blessed more than anyone else. But God has done, and, and God has such a sense of humor, because now, how many of you guys know God has a sense of humor? He's brought me back to Moody Bible Institute, where I'm now teaching in the theology department. So I went from prisoner to professor. How about that for a resume? But God has done far, far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked or thought. You know, I look back upon my life, most of which were far apart from Christ. I see a lot of really bad decisions that I've made, one of those, and some resulting in some big consequences, like having HIV. But you know, I realize something. I 'm no different than any of you. All of our days are numbered. You know, it took contracting HIV for me to realize a very important truth. That as a child of God, I must live with a sense of urgency. This world we live in, it's a crazy world. Threat of terrorism. We're at each other's throat in this country. Orphans, widows. You know, I'm convinced this world doesn't need another good Christian. A good Christian who might go to church every Sunday. Nice person, but doing little for the kingdom of God. We don't need more good Christians. But you know what we need? You know what this world demands? are great Christians. Christians who don't settle for mediocrity. Christians who don't care what the person on the left says, what the person on the right says, but the living to please their father. Christians who know they have been crucified with Christ and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. Christians who are living with a sense of urgency. Because whether you're ready or not, there will come one day in the blink of an eye. I promise you, where every one of us will stand before our God, our creator. And I hope that he can look at you in the eyes face to face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Oh God, our creator, you are our rock, you are our strong tower. You are our healer, you are the one who hears. Thank you that you created us, named us, even before you put us in our mother's womb. Thank you, Lord God, that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord God, to live with urgency. Forgive us for chasing after things in this world that don't matter. Help us, God, to be great in your eyes. And we look with anticipation for the return of your son, Jesus. And until that day, help us to be faithful. We love you, O God. Help us to love you more than life. And we ask this in the mighty, man's name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen.
0: Thank you. Thank you, you, brother. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Just uh, so thankful for God's amazing grace. There's nobody in here who's too far gone from the Lord, and uh, there's nobody who is without hope. And uh, thank you, Angela, for your faithful prayers for Christopher, and uh, Leon, your partnership in those prayers. And uh, I know we have many people here in our own church, uh, friends that we know, family members that we love and care for, who are not walking with the Lord, uh, whether it's homosexuality or other issues. Um, but I pray that their message today it would be a great encouragement to you that God is faithful and uh, he is still in the business of doing miracles. And so uh, thank you guys for sharing your your uh, story with us this morning. I want to encourage you guys to get a copy of those books. Uh, we are not trying to sell you books here. We're trying to get you equipped with good resources. That's what this is about. Get a copy of those books. I promise you, you won't regret it. Buy an extra one to hand out to somebody. Get 10 for your grandkids. um, Great resources out there. Let me uh, encourage you to stand for our benediction this morning. From Romans 15, verse 13, a great verse to uh, conclude our time with the Yuan family this morning. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, abound in hope. May God bless you, friends. Amen.